So, you know, I got this plot puff a couple of weeks ago. The one that you're not going to like? The one that uh, the critics said. Oh, my God. I have... I I have never taken as much verbal abuse. Or that's not true. The squirrel hunting thing. Everybody <laughs> knows about that. That went off the rails. But this is a this is a not super distant second. Like people really? contacting me, like unsolicited, just out of the blue, like playing message on my phone. You're gonna hate that dog. <laughs> like okay. Thank you very much for your just yeah. random people, random like random people who like saw on Facebook or Instagram. It's like, oh, we got a plot. I'm gonna send him some hate mail. <laughs> <laughs> he needs some hate mail today. It's like very clearly he thinks too much of himself if he thinks that he's uh, ready for a plot hound. So uh, let's 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 bring him back down a few notches here. <laughs> so yeah, I um. That's Dan, right? Dan, yeah. He's uh, my son got the name, and of course, we just read um, uh, Where the Red Fern Grows. Oh, yeah, of course. So it's uh, became named Dan, which is which is good, fits him, fits him perfectly. Um, but yeah, so we've had two adventures, sort of bigger adventures since he got here. He's only five months old, but he's um, he, he's already shown that he's a grittier hound than either of my other ones. Mm-hmm. So this this the first thing that happened was it was only a couple days after he got here. We have goats. We had, yeah, we have we had goats. <laughs> I know we we should have like a whole like raising goat fiasco episode because I know you were doing packing with them too, right? I was. And that was the yeah. goal. That was the goal. That's... And you got some goats with that same thought, didn't you? Yeah, we did. And then we ended up sending them out to pasture last year because they were too wild. Like yeah. we thought, oh, well, we'll just get a mom. We got a trio. We got a mom that had just had a set of twins, but they were already wild enough that yeah. like either they were trying to beat the hell out of you to get food. Yep. You know, they were just food hungry. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, they went to my buddy's kid. I made him a deal. I'll give you these three goats and I want two back in the spring. Yep. So we just collected on that and brought home two that were bottle babies. So hopefully we can get a little better result out of this. Yeah, I think that's where I went wrong is I picked up these two um, when they were eight weeks old. Yep, that's about the same time we did. Yeah, And you think, well, you can do it. You don't have to have a bottle baby. Let me tell you, old, that's no you problem. Do. It made a huge, it makes a huge difference. Anyway, I digress. Yes, we both ended up getting into goats. We did. Unbeknownst to each other with the same vision in mind. Exactly. I originally would have gone for an alpine goat because anybody who's packed with goats knows that it's ideally the alpines that that work Mm -hmm. really well. There's a couple of people, like a guy out in Montana, for example, that does does some with the Boer goats, those big burly linebacker African goats. Yep. But that's what I had available to me. I had either that or these little miniature, like Norwegian milking goats. And Carry ten pounds. Yeah. Carry exactly. your lunch, maybe. Exactly. So I got these. I got these pack. You know, these pack goats. The or the uh, these boer goats with the idea that I was going to pack with them. I got them when they were eight weeks old. 
what ended up happening is I spent the entire summer running with these guys and biking with these guys and just having a great time with these guys, but they got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So by this spring, they were 120 pounds a piece and not even half grown. Jeez. Monsters. And they were castrated. So they were getting that kind of steer castrated, you know, that, you know, how the steer get way bigger than the bulls. Yep. That's what was happening with these guys, I think. But they were super uppity. So my youngest son was terrified of them. All the dogs are terrified of them. <laughs> and what they figured out is that they could, they were big enough at this point to be able to butt the gate and the door of their pen hard enough, despite the fact that the thing is made of like a solid, a solid wood door and two, you know, and two by fours, they were able to break through it. Oh, geez, man. So I was having like issues keeping them in and they were jumping up on the car. They ate like the trim off the windows. Like it was, it was getting, it was, it was getting unpleasant really quickly. And I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to need to take these guys. So I was like, okay, I'm going to wait until the weekend. No big deal. I came home on a Thursday and they were out. I go to put them back. So I leveled off and dropped one off the hood of the car. Something like it was almost that bad. I, I, I grabbed them both. I'm they both had collars on. I'm leading them back into their into the pen. And they just are like, they just both decided simultaneously that this is just not this is not happening. We're, we're gonna mess Barry up. We are gonna mess this guy up. So instead of like pulling back and screaming like they usually did, they just horns down because you know they had big horns horns down and just went for me oh geez man i've got both of these goats slamming me up against the side of the the goat the goat house and i'm getting angry <laughs> at this point like i'm st i'm still okay i'm you know i'm i'm kind of i've still got both of their collars so they're not they're not getting any good hits in but i'm getting angry right and don the pup dan the pup is watching the, this all go down and he's just like oh barry needs me <laughs> he's, save you, buddy. He, he runs in and just bites this one goat right in the face and he's five months old five months old five month old pup weighs maybe you know 30 pounds 150 pound goat yeah 120 something pound goat goes in and bites this goat in the face which then of course rips its you know backs up so that i lose you know i lose grip on its collar and just starts pounding this puppy just bam 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 into the gravel oh geez and the pup I, i'm thinking he's killed him instantly because i don't hear a, i don't hear a shriek i don't hear a whimper i don't hear anything from this pup so i let the other goat go and run over and grab this goat by the horns and yank his head up and dan the plot pup just comes up from the mud and gravel just raging angry grabs this goat <laughs> by the nose so I let go of the goat. I'm trying to save Dan by holding on to the goat. Then I let go of the goat and grab Dan trying to save the goat. As soon as I grab Dan, the other goat, which I had let go, nails me from behind and sends me sprawling into a mud puddle. This is like cartoon status. This was this. This must have been the most I wish that I had a camera outside you know like yeah, right like a gopro or a ring cameras you know so i yeah i picked myself up sort of blew the mud and you know mud puddle water out of my mustache 
went inside, got my gun, and dropped them both. Because <laughs> that's how we do it over here. Got, that was it. That was like I was done. Gutted, gutted them both, hung them both to age overnight, slotted them the next day, whole grilled two shoulders. I know that was the best picture because I asked how was I, I messaged you how how was the goat expedition? And I get a picture back of like a leg of goat over an open fire. <laughs> Oh, it was excellent. So we've been eating goat for the last uh, couple weeks. It's uh, I'm enjoying it immensely. It's not bad. It's good. A lot of people get freaked out about it, but really, I've tasted deer that were more gamey. Oh, for sure. And you know, like I said, these guys were these guys were castrated, so they didn't have that real sort of buck gamey, you know, mangy, Mm -hmm. musky taste or smell to them. Yeah, and that oh. makes a big difference. I know, oh, huge difference, huge difference. So no, it's it's good meat, and yeah, I was surprised. You know, I, I did a little bit of reading, you know, about some recipes and things. You know, how to prepare them, and I, you know, I, I prepare. I've prepared them the same way I pre- I would prepare like a a deer. Mm-hmm. You know, it's pretty comparable. Um, They're super similar. I mean, to me, even in flavor, I think you can slip a lot of that in, and people never know. Wouldn't know. Yeah, exactly. So. But apparently goat is like the most the most eaten meat in the world because, you know, you take into yeah. consideration that huge parts of Africa and Asia and India, you know, the cow is sacred and the pigs are considered to be dirty. So it's like either chicken or goat. That's it. Yep, exactly. I, I, I liked it. So anyway, I was uh, filled the freezer and was super impressed with Dan, who was unhurt a little bit, a little bit bang, you know, a little banged up, but not no serious injuries and, and resilient resilient yeah went right back in swinging so i had to respect that and then i was out walking him like i was out walking about two weeks later and got back to the car and was just kind of taking off you know taking off everything getting them loaded up into the car and just as i do that between when we had left and when we had gotten back a lynx had walked past the car oh no kidding so he, you know, we had, we'd been walking, there were fox tracks everywhere, moose tracks everywhere. And he was just kind of puttering along, sniffing around, but not, not reacting to anything in any big way, which didn't bother me. But as oh, soon yeah. as he hit that, that lynx track, he was just like the whole dog changed. The hackles went up, his tail, his tail went up, his nose went down and he just went screaming. Oh, dude, that's awesome. Which was cool, except for the fact that I'd just gotten back to the car and was packing him up so he didn't have a GPS collar on. <laughs> there's the hang up. <laughs> there's, the, there's the hang. So I call my wife because I've got my sons with me and she comes racing up with a pair of snowshoes. And while I'm waiting, I hear like the, I hear like the trailing bark mm-hmm. change to the contact like oh so i'm like shit and he's young i mean he's only he's still only like five and a half months old so i'm thinking that you know he's gonna get his butt kicked so i run in there as fast as i can with with snowshoes and at this point they've they're out of hearing i can't even hear them anymore and i i I follow his tracks and find what had happened is he had followed the, the the lynx tracks until he had physically bumped a moose oh gotcha 
And then he went tearing off after this moose when this moose turned and, and, and booked it. So I follow them and I follow these tracks. He's running about 12 feet downwind of this moose, but a lot, but parallel to it. Mm-hmm. And they get to this big open area where a friend of mine, it's actually right by a friend of mine's cabin. And in that area, you can see where the moose has stopped and where they have, where you see Dan's tracks in a big circle around where this moose has stopped. Oh, just going around him. Right. And then you see the moose tracks leaving and you see Dan's tracks still falling, except now they're bloody. Oh, no. And at this point, I can hear him again. So I snowshoe in there and he hears me coming, comes out and meets me. Uh, total, I mean, like a shark in bloody water. I mean, pupils dilated, like practically chest, the switch. Oh, chest, chest bumping me on the way in. It's like, this is what we <laughs> trade for. Like, <laughs> losing his mind. And uh, yeah, so it, what it seems like, although he's no, no tooth issues, no, no bones broken or anything like that. It seems like he got clipped. Yeah. Got, had blood in both nostrils and was, um, yeah, it was going full blown, like up in this moose's grill where it had backed into, like I, I went in and it had backed into uh, some bushes kind of protecting itself but he had he had gotten kicked i my i am assuming he had come into contact somehow with that moose gotten the bloody nose and then trailed it for a few more hundred yards and then baited up in some bushes man that's wild at five that might be a tough one to break at five and a half months old like that's i don't know at like i've talked to a couple of plot people who are like oh yeah that sounds like a plot yeah but like for me who's coming from these foxhounds like not to say that they're soft that's not what i'm saying but like it's just different this is something else man totally well and like i was i actually did a podcast i mean i know this is going to release in a couple weeks or whatever but i just did one with a, a customer of mine's kid out of california and it was like a school project and we were talking about dogs posted a link to that yeah yeah i just posted a link to it that was that was fun. You know, that was, it's cool to see kids involved. And this kid's been around hound dogs forever. So yep. it was it was interesting. But uh I was talking about basically dogs have three things on their mind. I mean, most most living things, self-preservation, reproduction, and catch whatever I'm chasing with a hound. I mean, that's like the three things that they care about. Oh, for sure. And you know they change in order. I think with certain dogs, I think you're going to fight the self-preservation a little bit with that one. He, he might need some reality checks. Yeah. Well, I saw when I got in there, I saw that um, he was at that point from where the, where the moose was stopped um, from the first time to the second time. He was not holding in an inappropriate amount of distance. It's not like he was, you know, I, I've seen dogs that have been kicked that won't go within a hundred yards of a moose. He just learned a little respect. He learned a little bit of respect. I, I, I was actually fairly pleased to see that there was uh, no cowardice whatsoever, but just like a, a, a nice streak of common sense. If you could read anything from the tracks that, right. that he was, uh, 
he had a little bit more respect for the humongous thousand pound beast. In That's front, good. Which is which that'll is be helpful great. in the future. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I'm like maybe maybe pig hunting isn't a good idea with this dog. Oh man, yeah, some of those dogs are just bonsais. I mean, of any breed, but especially some of those plot dogs just run in and like they give no regard to their own life at that point. They, yeah. they are going to go and get whatever they want. It's crazy. It's it crazy. is crazy. I, mean, I, I shared this with a couple of plot guys that I know and they were like, Oh, that, that, that sounds about right. And then, you know, then of course the horror stories start rolling. I had a dog, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, some of them are just like, wow, man, they're talk about a tough dog. And, you know, I'm still, uh, I, I really like this dog. I like everything I've seen about him so far. Um, and you're going to go do the test with him, you said? Yeah, I am going to do with that. With Ivan? Yep, I'm going to do that. And I think he's going to be pretty, pretty all about it. Um, I think he'll test better than Buzz will, probably. Yeah, I would say probably. I mean, just knowing the type of dog Buzz is and talking to you. Yeah, he's a, he's and a just that. dog, you know, and, and I'm fully aware of that. You know, he's a, he's a much, much softer dog in that sense. And he does everything that I ask him to do. He's a, he's the, I mean, especially with my kids, he's the perfect, right. he's the perfect dog to get my kids started in hunting mm-hmm. because I know he's going to go out. I know that he's got a cold enough nose that he's going to find game. His ability to find game is his, his, is excellent right it's gonna run it hard so that it's it's gonna den quickly and then he's gonna be done you know and then then he'll go and find another fox or if i tell him he'll come with me back to the truck right so it's such a great it's so ideal for the kids because you know the kids they're ivan's eight odin is six you know they're not gonna be up for snowshoeing for 10 hours it's just not going to happen no you know and i have no expectation that that's going to be the case and i you know so buzz is perfect for this stage in my life buzz is perfect for for me and for the kids and i think that's a lot to do with it too i mean i know that's the struggle i had is thinking oh i need to hunt in this way yeah you know because this is how it's done and you know my early years you push and you push and you push and you're just you're beating your dogs up, you're beating yourself up, you're out there every second, you know, not necessarily making good use of time, but you're out there doing the effort. Yep. And then you realize, okay, something's got to change here. Like I can only hunt this way and there's nothing wrong with that. I just need to change what I'm doing to where it's more conducive to the rest of our lives. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, in that way, Buzz fits the family aspect of hunting for me perfectly. Mm-hmm. He's a dog that I can grab the kids and go out after school and be reasonably sure that I'm still going to be able to get that. Not only will we have gotten game, but that the kids are going to be in bed by a reasonable amount of time. Exactly. You know, whereas Dan and Vipi, on the other hand, they're dogs that I'm going to let go, that I'm going to let go on Saturday morning with the hope that I've got them back by Monday when I go to work. Right. You know, which is not real fun anymore. Once you have the other. Yeah. It's well, yeah, but yes and no, you know, I, like with, 
With Vicky, it's no fun because I know that 90% of the time she's running off game. <laughs> just edge your bets. Yeah. It's just like, I, it's like, all right. You know, like the, you know, like the last, the last time she did it, she, I put her down on some really nice Fox tracks. I'd driven, I'd, I'd gone out and looked for tracks and then I was meeting a buddy who was going to come and hunt with me. So I drove back to my house picked him up and then drove back out again. And in between when I had gone back to my house and when I'd driven back out a Fox across the road. Oh, it's a good one. I mean, great. It was not a ton of snow, just enough for some good trailing. And, you know, she, she's so sketchy with other animals that I wanted to, she's, she's so trashy that I wanted to put her, she doesn't have the freedom to do the searches that buzz does. I can Mm -hmm. drop him in an area. And I know that if there's a Fox in that area, he's going to find it because he'll look for it. Whereas she'll right. just find the first thing. So I put her on these tracks and she, she followed them for, I mean, 40 feet. And then was like, Oh, you know, 40 day old road deer tracks. I'm going to run these. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I mean, she, she ran them. She's got a, you know, she's got a decent nose on her and, and she ran them and bumped the deer and it ended up turning into a 22 mile dude just and i and it what was what sucked about it was it wasn't like i couldn't get in front of her i kept getting in front of her and she'd like dodge around me like that dog in the park that doesn't want to go home oh yeah oh god so what's the deal are you guys restricted on what you can use as far as training equipment i mean so here's the deal like i'll fill the listeners in we really had a plan on where we were going with this podcast yeah we're hoping to get to feet eventually because eventually yeah that's like one of bears you know uh few areas of expertise or yeah exactly those sled dogs it's an area where i have a lot of experience put it that way so so that's where we're headed we're just taking the long way around we're taking a lot there if we get there we might have to do another one you never know i'd have to do another one but are you guys super limited on the equipment you can use like e-collars like they are in australia yep big time i am not allowed that is wild it's crazy man so like the garments that i'm able to get here are different than the garments that you guys have right and i think that's a big misconception with people is they think a garment's a garment but it's not there's different markets i mean there's different software versions different software versions different markets different wave you know different like frequencies frequencies so like so the the collar that i have would not work in the states right you know and the the maximum that i'm allowed to do to a dog is vibrate it really i can't shock it i can't do anything like that it is illegal for me to shock my dogs unless so like just an audible or a vibrate like you can audible, tone keep, them? i can tone them i can vibrate but i cannot do anything else they i can take them to a registered certified um livestock breaker mm-hmm. and have them shocked off of sheep and rain and domestic reindeer huh but I cannot shock them myself off of trash. It's like you could go to a breaking pen, basically. I can go to a breaking pen and have them broken off of sheep. But that's that's insane. It's insane because they've but they've got all of these rules in addition where I can't, you know, a dog that's over 41 centimeters uh, at the shoulder 
can't is not allowed to run any hoofed um, game. That I think is like one of the things that I'm most intrigued about with hunting hounds in other countries because, like my friend Shane ringing out of uh, Australia, we were talking and, you know, they can only import certain types of dogs. Yeah. They have to be certain bloodline, you know, or, or I'm sorry, breed size restrictions. You know, you can run this dog on a Fox, but you can't run it on a, a Samba or Sambar. Yeah. It, it blows my mind. And it's the same deal with the shock callers down there too. Yep. Like you have to have a prescription from your veterinarian. He was saying, yeah. Yeah. And then you get an okay or an exemption, which like, I mean, I, I, I guess I didn't realize how the rest of the world views e-callers, but like, I look at it like, yeah, it's a breaking tool, but it's a safety tool too. I mean, like if I tell you to come here and you ignore me 500 times and you get ran over, uh, that's not a good thing. Yeah. Or if I can teach you like this means business. Yeah. And I mean, that's the, that's the tough, that's the tough situation is that I am, I'm in a situation where I am, it is illegal for my dogs to run off game, but I have very few tools in my arsenal. Just barbaric to break. I mean, like they expect you to physically break them off of. Yeah. I mean, I guess they expect me to run down a running walker. Like, I don't know what they're expecting. of me. I don't think, you know, hire the bears defense and yeah they think i'm cameron haynes or something like that it's like who do they think i am i'm gonna be able to run like 200 miles later i'm gonna be like gotcha it's like how's this (laughs) (laughs) see and that's how it used to be here i mean i think back early days so when we first started danny would literally ride around in the truck with me we'd have the slider window open yeah because we didn't have shot callers and we had a broomstick so she would just like give them a quick poke, you know, poke, poke. They bark out of place or, you know, they're goofing. Just give them a little poke, attention getter. Yeah. And, you know, now we would look like total barbarians because of that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, here you have countries that literally, like they're setting you up for failure. Like you said, oh, you can't run off game, but you can't do anything to correct that before it becomes a habit. Right. So it's, it's, it's tough. So I know, you know, I know, I know people who will go to other, well, actually travel to other countries. Right. Just so that they can do their training. Just to break them off of off game. That's wild. You know, wire them up and just blast them. Right. You know, one and done kind of a deal. That's nuts. So I'm, I'm probably, I mean, like realistically, I'm probably going to have to do that with VHP. I'm probably going to need to take her somewhere else and get and and get her shocked off of road deer because that's the biggest issue if you know if if i'm i'm willing to choose my battles if she wants to run hair go for it like i I don't care she's not gonna leave the country on you right you know but road deer it's like not only is she gonna you know not only is she gonna destroy herself because that was you know and, and this could be kind of a good segue into talking about the feet by the time i got her off of that road deer she was pouring blood from all four feet. Just bad conditions and rough conditions. And also I hadn't had her out very much because she was so trashy. I'd been waiting for that first powder of snow so I could put her on really fresh tracks because every sure. other time I'd let her out, she had been running trash. 
Um, so stack the deck a little bit forward. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, part of all the years that I ran sled dogs, you know, we start out every season in August or September, just doing short runs, nice Mm -hmm. and slow on a four wheeler or in front of the truck or something like that, just roading them, allowing their feet to toughen up on gravel roads. And it kept, it sets them up for success later on in the season and Mm -hmm. starting out with these short runs, you know, you don't need to go out and do 10 miles for your first run, you know, letting them go at six or seven miles an hour and just kind of puttering, puttering along on, on, on the gravel roads in August. And then, you know, that's how we start out two, three miles in August Mm -hmm. by December, we're doing hundred, you know, we're, we're doing 80, 90 mile runs. Yeah. Without any problems. But the difference is, is that by the time we hit, by the time we hit what would be racing season. So, you know, January, February, March, our dogs have not been nursing small injuries. Mm-hmm. They're in, they're mentally in better shape and it's they're tough. better shape because they're tough. You know, I don't need to worry about if, you know, and it's better for me. You know, I, I know people who use thousands of dollars a year on dog booties. Yeah. Booting up their teams to prevent foot issues where if they had done the work early on in the season and use some sense of, you know, use some common sense, you know, when they saw that foot starting to bleed box that dog. Yeah. You know, if you see a dog favoring a foot box, it. Don't keep that dog in the, you know, don't keep that dog on the ground because that dog is own that foot is only going to get worse. Well, and that's actually, I was talking with Danny last night because I said I was going to jump on with you this morning, you yep. know, because you get to have your afternoon beer. I get my morning coffee for that's these right. podcasts. That's it works right. out good. Works out awesome. Yeah, love it. But, you know, we were kind of talking about that. And as far as when you dedicate that much time with a dog and you know that dog, so well like i can tell when their feet are you know before you can even physically see an issue you can just see how they're moving and how they're you know going down the road and it's like you know what that thing is pushed to the point where it's going to start causing problems so either i can leave you out risk slipping a pad yep and you're out for two or three weeks potentially or i can throw you in the box we can get our butts back out here in a couple of nights For days, yeah, exactly. and do the same thing, you know, and that it never fails. That's when you have an opportunity. It seems like that you could actually get that dog in. And I have a really hard time holding a dog back for that, but by God, I'm not going to be running you down the road, searching for a track on a foot that I can already tell is going to be an issue. Right. You know, and, and, that's something that I see a lot of people doing. And I also, you know, not, not just, you know, right now we're talking about feet, but we could have a whole other conversation about other issues that you're going to run into if you don't properly condition your dogs before the hunting season. Oh, sure. Heat strokes, heat strokes, muscle strains, muscle strains. You can get this insane thing. Um, there's a, there's a, there's a muscle, like a cord of muscle that goes along the shoulder blade called the intraspinatus. And that's, if they're breaking too much, that dog, that movement of like breaking 
the dogs using their front end to break going downhill. Mm -hmm. If they do that too much on that first day, that can actually swell to the point where the fascia around the muscle acts as a tourniquet. And just chokes it out. Chokes that muscle out. So they lose that muscle. And then you, you then you have a completely crippled dog for the, I mean, it's that it, you're done. That dog's done. No kidding. So we've had every year, we've got a couple that come into the, into the office that we need to open up and actually slice that fascia along the length to relieve the pressure of the, uh, of you know, the, the bleeding in the muscle. That's nuts. You know, so that's, that is one of the things that I see a lot of people doing. And, and, you know, it's, I, I remember really, really well, I went out and did this three day hunt with, um, with some friends of mine. And after day one, their dogs were visibly tired. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we'd been out there for seven or eight hours. So, you know, it's allowed to be tired, you know, after day two, those dogs were trashed, man. Yeah. And day three, they were, they were not really functional. You know, whereas I had, I had Buzz with me and he was fully functional all three days because we had, I, I trained him like I would train, you know, in a similar way that I would train a Husky, you mm-hmm. know, I started him out slow. I'd kept his feet healthy. I'd kept his joints and tendons healthy and built him up so that he was in extremely good shape. I think that's a big one for people. And like, there's no insult intended here, but I would say a vast majority of people who think a dog is in shape probably are not at the in shape point yet. Like it's kind of one of those things. Like when your parents tell you, you won't understand until you're a parent. Okay. You don't know a dog is really in shape until you see a dog that is truly and fully in 100% shape. Absolutely. And mine are not that like mine are not those dogs right now. No, because it is so much effort to reach that. When you think that they are at the top of their game, you're probably about halfway there. Yep. That's absolutely. That, that is absolutely accurate. You know, and that that's where I've been really fortunate in the amount of time I've spent training long distance Alaskan Huskies is mm-hmm. that I know what that looks like. I've seen it. It's every- amazing. It's amazing. You have dogs that you, th- you have dogs that seem unstoppable, mm-hmm. you know, I, and night after night, after night, after night, after, after night, day after day, after day. I mean, when you're looking at, you know, you're, you're looking at these, at when we're talking hounds, you're looking for a dog that's going to be able to hunt for, you know, two or three days in a row. That dog's, if you have a dog that can hunt hard for two or three days in a row, that dog is in insane shape. Right. And that dog is still, you know, you're, that dog is still probably getting eight or nine hours of sleep mm-hmm. between, in between hunts. You know, these Alaskan Huskies, you get, you get with these long distance Alaskan Huskies, they'll go for two weeks running eight hours with a four hour rest, eight hours with four hour rest and do that yeah. revolution with one 24, one longer 24 hour rest. And do that for two full weeks. I mean, if you look at the runs when I did a rod or the, uh, the Yukon quest, it's, it's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable. And that is that crazy, insane fitness level. And I mean, to be fair, unless there are very, very few scenarios where a hound is going to need to be in that kind of shape. 
Right. You know, there are very few scenarios where you are going to need to hunt night and day for two weeks. (laughs) I just, I can't actually think of a scenario where that would be necessary. No, you know, and that's like when I was looking at going hunting out of state, you know, you got to think you're going to drive all that way and you're going to get a day of good hunting and you're going to get a day of, man, I'm really sore or I'm not used to this terrain. And day three, you're like, that's not going to happen. Right. Um, You know, when you're coming off a, a fresh rest, you know, fresh dogs. And that's, that's the thing I think that I would like to emphasize to people is it's all in the prep work. Absolutely. painting houses, painting cars. Like it's the same with hound dogs. It's all in the prep work and what you put into them. You know, they are athletes. This is not a, you know, super size me McDonald's combo eating, running a marathon. These right. dogs are fine tuned, you know, top of their game when they're in that peak physical condition, which again, no, no disrespect because a lot of people just physically cannot get a dog to its full potential because of our limitations in life, right? It's our, our work, family, you know, the difference in hunting a dog one day a week to two days a week is big. Mm-hmm. Two to three days a week is even bigger. When you've got a dog that's clicking off three, four, five, six days a week. Yeah. I mean, that is truly one of the most amazing things you'll ever see. That is a, top athletic performer at the peak of their game. Absolutely. And you have less injuries. You know, you'd think that you'd have more because they got more woods time, but you've built up that muscle structure. They're good in the woods. Their feet are tough. They're mentally way tougher dogs. They're machines at that point. They're machines. They just, they click into this just like Terminator mode. Just they, they go full Rambo where it's just like head down. Like they're feeling no pain. It's just like, yeah. There. Yeah, they're so mentally tough at that point. And I've I've seen that. I mean, luckily, I've got some buddies that, I mean, they hunt really hard. And I've been there two seasons over the years. So I can tell you, we were in top physical shape. That was it. Yep. But, you know, I'm actually, I'm getting ready to work on a new turnout pen here. Because we've got our, our kennel, but I'd like to have a, a bigger turnout. And what I always did in the past was I ran my dogs on three quarter clean gravel. Yeah. I didn't do the minus because I don't like all the little, little stuff filling in, but that was their kennel was three quarter clean. And I'll tell you, that was something that other than the cleaning and sanitizing, you know, that got to be a little bit rougher or you'd lose a lot of gravel in the process of cleaning. Yep. But for feet, that is exactly what's going to go back in a major portion of that kennel because there was never a foot problem when they were just conditioned like that. That's exactly it. I I wrote an article for you guys that I I think is going to probably come out um, a few weeks from now. So I don't know what that's going to be in relation to this, to this, to this podcast, but um, you guys are listening, listening can go and check out the W uh, the ambassador page and find the article there. uh, If it's, if it's out yet, if it's not, it'll be out shortly. Um, and I, I write about that. The best thing that you can do is if you can have that, if you can have coarse, you know, bark, like cedar bark or Mm -hmm. better yet gravel, like coarse gravel, that is going to toughen their feet up to a degree that I think people don't quite understand. They're like, Oh, my dog goes out and runs for an hour on a dirt road. It's not the same thing. 
No, no. When they were living on that, it was they're iron. Insane. They're I mean they're they're absolute iron. And then you can run your dogs in, you know, you can run your dogs in anything. You know, I did I did three hard days in a row this year in frozen corn snow with Buzz. That's gotta be rough. He he not a drop of blood, not a single, not a single day where he had an off day. I did three days in a row. Really? He hunted equally as hard. It was at the end of the season. We'd been hunting three or four days a week the entire winter. And his feet were iron at that point. And yeah. I posted some videos of it, and people were like, you know, people got on me. They're like, Oh, you can't do that. That poor dog. What about his feet? And I, I took some pictures of his feet on day three and was like, there's there's zero issue here, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's, as you say, it's the, it's not that it, it's not that people aren't doing it. It's not that people are doing anything wrong. It's right. Just, you've got it. You've got to understand it's the, how long it's going to take that foot to toughen up. And the only thing that's going to toughen it up is for them to be walking on tough in tough conditions. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's why I like trying to get a dog in shape. Like, let's say you go out and you rode them or you get on a short, quick race. You know, yeah, sometimes you want to rest your dog the next day. You know, early in the season, trying to get a dog in shape. Yeah, you take a day off in between. And then you get, you know, they, they're they on, they're off, they're on, they're off. Yep. Well, then you get on a good running one. You get a good race under you. And by God, the next night, you better get out there and push that gas tank and make it realize, hey, we're not full yet. We, we can still keep going, you know, because you've got to push that progression without burning the dog out or blowing feet off. You know, there's a difference between just working a dog overly hard, I think, and, and blowing it out and walking that line of pushing it to that next level. Absolutely. There's a very, very well-known, um, I did her much. We actually won the, the version of the, I did they had this year, uh, Dallas CV. Mm. And he calls that whole process building the monster. I like that. Where he starts with these bunch of knuckleheads, you know, I mean, that's, and that's how the season starts is, is you have this feel. I have it every year after 20 years. I still have this feeling every year where I, I hook them up and put their harnesses on and clip them into the team. And I'm just like, what the heck am I doing? It's just like, I've got 16 idiots tied to each other. Like this is just, this is, you know, I have to remind myself that, okay, I've done this before. I know that I know where we're going to end up. Right. And then it's, it's exactly as you say, it's, it's the idea of, of taking care of them, backing off when it's necessary to back off so that you don't exacerbate small things into big things, but also being able to push them so that the entire time you, it, they're getting better and pushing their boundaries more and more without ever pushing them to that point where they think, Oh man, I can't do this. Right. You know, because most dogs at some point, even these super tough Alaskan Huskies or plots or whatever, they're going to have that moment where it's just like, you know, you can ruin a good dog. Oh, easily. By pushing it too hard. And if you're smart about it, you can take a mentally relatively weak dog, you know, like, I I mean, and, and it's, it's like, it's like I said with buzz buzz is, I, he's not a weak dog necessarily, but he's a softer dog 
than Vitby or Buzz, mm -hmm. or sorry, or Dan. But Buzz can be pushed because he's in he's shape. mentally he's tough. Pushed. You know, and I, he, I've never let him get to that point where I know that with Buzz, I could push him to that point. I've actually not seen that point with either VFP or Dan yet, mm -hmm. where they have that moment of like, oh, I, this is this is too enough's much. Enough's enough. Buzz, I could see us approaching that. And then I back off. Right. Which now it makes him seem like a very tough dog. But I think I think that if I'd pushed him too hard as a pup, if mm -hmm. I'd let him destroy himself as a pup, I, I, I think I wouldn't have much to work with right now. Well, and I think of the feet. I mean, that's your foundation. You, you can't get a dog in shape in any aspect if you don't have good feet. Absolutely not you're not going to build the lung. You're not going to build the muscle. And, you know, like right now I'm seeing it with this, this pup I have when you're watching a dog, you know, you get the puppy ganglies. They, they don't know how their legs work. Oh, they're just flying everywhere. Yeah. I love that. And then I took her out, you know, and we're just exercising and all of a sudden it's like, Hey, that dog, she just figured out how to run. Yeah. And then the next time it's like, Ooh, now she's, she's really got it figured out. Like we're shovel stepping, we're, we're moving. Yeah. And you realize, okay, now it's my time to kick it in. Like it's my time to really focus, which I'm sucking at right now at the moment with everything going on in our lives, but right. you know, you just know, okay, it's time to develop this and watch it progress and build those feet. Because if I don't, she's not going to be able to build in any other aspect. It's got to start with the feet. And I think, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there on the market. I mean, and don't get me wrong. I'm not knocking any of it. If somebody's looking for it. Yeah. I sell it every day. Uh, but I don't think there's any comparison to building a naturally tough conditioned foot. I absolutely agree with that. But it's 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 complicated, you know, building good feet is it's a complicated thing, you know, because you're looking at your you know, there's there's aspects of breeding that goes into that. You know, you've got to oh, huge, got yeah. breed. You have to breed dogs with good feet, you know, yep. to get good feet. There's also an absolutely an aspect of nutrition. You know, if you have dogs that are not getting the necessary essential oils you know the the the, the omega-3s and things like that their yeah. their feet are going to be they're going to be cracked they're going to be gnarly you know they're not going to look as good as you want them to look you know so the huskies always got you know fish oil or seal oil or something like that to help with their coats and help with their feet sure it makes such a huge difference it does i mean because there's a difference between a dry and cracked out foot you know, like a big old worn out piece of shoe leather right. and just a, a tough foot, uh, oh, you know, we need to find some pictures to go with this, you know, in the episode notes or something of like, or do a, a foot chart somewhere, because it's crazy when you start thinking about it in depth, how many different conditions there are, you know, and for us, a big one was we always kept prenatal vitamins around. Because if you've got dogs that are going flat on their feet or especially puppies through the puppy uglies and they start, you know, if they're not getting the right nutrition and they go down on their pasterns or you've got, 
dogs that are going coon footed, you know, or splayed footed, yep. you know, the prenatals just help suck that back up and give you a nice tight foot for sure. You know, which is kind of, you know, people look at you funny, but honestly, anything you can do to help that, especially in the growth, you know, your conditioning of those feet start at day, I'm going to say eight weeks. Cause that's when I really start caring. Other than that, they're just moving around in fuzzy pups. Yeah, for sure. That that's when it starts. And if you don't have the nutrition base to start off, you have a weak foundation to start building that tolerance to surface in different conditions. But that, I mean, that was a big one that we had found, especially if we brought a dog in from somewhere else, it was usually prenatals right away, yep. get things tightened up. Hundred percent. You guys do the same with the sled dogs, or yeah, they're, they're probably pretty bred. Well, I mean, they're I mean, bred I... for feet. You know, you know, there's the old saying, "No foot, no dog." Right. Um, that that's something we've paid a lot of attention to um, in our breeding. I've bred once to a dog with they weren't bad feet, but they were not as good as the rest of my dogs. But he had everything else that I wanted. So I bred him to a female that I think she's had a booty on her foot once or twice her entire life. She's 11 now. Right. And I I mean, obviously I didn't breed her now. This was years ago when she was still sort of breeding age, but um, you know, that the breeding is, is certainly not to be underestimated um, when it comes to, when it comes to foot health, but you can compensate for a lot with just a good conditioning program. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about like, you know, chemicals or foot conditioners or things like that. I'm talking about getting your dog on a gnarly surface and not, not asking it to do 20 miles. I see all these pictures now and videos and stuff of guys, you know, roading their dogs and th- their dogs look great. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that they're doing anything wrong, but I see them all, you know, pleased that their dogs are roading at 20 miles an hour or 25 miles an hour. And that's that's all well and good but i think for early on when you're first starting to road keeping it keeping it keeping them at a trot Mm. you know keeping them keeping them at an easy lope or a trot if you start doing that full-blown gallop thing there it's breaking down you're going to start breaking down tendons you're going to start you know banging on some joints and you're going to start banging on feet in a way that is going to not necessarily be what they need to toughen up optimally. It'll toughen them up for sure. sure. And you'll be behind. Yeah. We're talking optimal, you know, we're talking about keeping a dog, toughening, toughening its feet up, keeping the progression good enough as you're training. So you're not way behind your buddies when you let your dogs out. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, you want to have, you want to have a dog that you, when you empty the box, it's going to be healthy, sure-footed and have that foundation. You know, it's, it's, you build dogs from the ground up. And I'm, I mean, I'm, I, I absolutely believe that you can, you can break even, even a mentally tough dog. If you're running that dog on bad feet, that dog's going to break eventually. Mm-hmm. I think that's the hard part because everything's an action and a reaction. You know, the pendulum swings so hard with these dogs. You know, we've all seen it. A dog that looks great one day, you go travel and three days later, it's like, man, this dog just sucked up, you know, lost eight pounds right? over three days. Or, you know, it's like you think you got to add some feed here 
And then next thing you know, you're 10 pounds overweight. Like, you know, there's, it's hard to judge where that baseline is on certain things. And when you're conditioning those dogs, like you're talking about running super fast right off the gate. The bad thing is, is you won't even see what that's doing to the dog until you're done until you're done. I mean, and not even always the next day, all of a sudden by the end of season though, when your three-year-old is acting like a six-year-old, yeah, you won't understand it until it happens. And we all do it. Like I've done the exact same thing, you know, push them hard. I used to pride myself because let's say in seven days I hunted five and they did a minimum of 20 miles a night. Like that was, I hung my hat on that. Right. What I did was I shaved years off of those dogs hunting careers. That's it's a mistake that I'm sure everybody who's had any kind of an, a hardworking dog, like a hound or a Husky or you know, uh, uh, even a bird dog, we've all done that. Mm-hmm. We've all seen that a dog suddenly gets old at six, seven, you know, years old when realistically, you know, I, it's become a source of pride for me that my Huskies have their, they have excellent longevity, both because I've mm-hmm. read on that but also because I allow them, I'm aware of the fact that they're not fully, they're not fully put together. They're not fully grown until they're two, two and a half, realistically. Right. If I bang on those young bodies, if I, you know, if I, if I'm, if I'm really abusing tendons and joints on a young dog, that's going to create these small chronic things that you're not even going to see until the dog suddenly just starts to lose a step. Mm-hmm. You know, starts to get arthritis, starts to get, you know, you know, and it can be in a totally unrelated spot. You know, you can have a dog that favors its front a little bit. So it's pounding a little bit more on its back feet and it creates spondylosis and arthritis between its vertebrae and, you know, right in front of its pelvis. And that dog's going to be crippled. You know, that mm-hmm. dog's going to be crippled by the time it's six, seven years old. And, you know, it's, it's, it's all about for me and I, you know, I'm, I'm sort of sounding preachier than I want to here because, you know, there's so many roads to, to Rome, you know, but what, what I have found is that being reasonable, taking into account that these are young dogs, taking into Mm -hmm. account that it takes a little bit of time, even for adult dogs between seasons to get them into shape again, um, has paid massive dividends because I don't know about you, but I would much rather have a fully trained dog. I would much rather have those two years, two, three extra years with that fully trained dog. Oh, definitely. Um, then to get that, that young dog on, on, you know, four or five more hunts that, that, mm-hmm. you know, I would rather that that young dog sat it out and that I get it two, off. Right. Yeah, two or three added on the back end. Right. Cause I mean, and that, that's realistically what you're looking at here is, is you're looking at years off of that dog's active career. Oh yeah. If you abuse it as a pup, mm-hmm. you know, if you, if you abuse, if you, and it's not that we're pushing them to do that, what, you know, these, they're natural, natural drive to go just balls to the wall. Mm-hmm. It's what we breed for. It's what we look for, but I don't think it's, I, I, I think that there's something to be said for holding them back not letting them destroy themselves because they'll destroy themselves if you let them. Mm -hmm. And I I think holding them back a little bit, keeping that intensity at a hundred. 
right you're going to get that you're going to have a dog that maintains their that maintains their health longer you know i've got my i've got a lead dog down there now that's he just retired at 11 wow and he was doing that's old that's old man for what but you then, do yeah but that's th- my last three retirees have not retired until they've been 11 wow you know and my two main leaders right now are both are eight and nine that's crazy and it's it's because i i learned painfully like painful painful lessons early on in my career that i took away it was so important for me to be looked at as serious that oh he's getting out there he's doing it that kid's serious Mm-hmm. that it, i did it, my ego you know i can't remember who it was that said it but somebody said an ego is an awful burden for a dog to bear yeah i love that saying it's true it's so true because my my ego me wanting to look serious and be taken seriously by my peers made it so that i it motivated me to get out there and do that little bit of extra which i thought was making it was making a difference and in reality i was stealing time off of that dog's career on mm-hmm. back end man we could do like a whole series on conditioning though because there's so many aspects to it so many aspects it's so i just know there's so many guys get trying to get dogs ready right now like when we were talking and kind of brainstorming i knew feet like feet are always a good topic <laughs> because you've got the guys that use products the guys that don't you know which products do you use this and that I mean, and I'm not going to knock, like I said, any of the products out there. Right. But there's no replacement for Mother Nature mm-hmm. in my eyes. Yeah. And I, I know I'm really looking forward to that article coming out because th- this whole ambassador program is a new thing for us. And it's going to be a great resource for our, our followers, our listeners, our customers. Mm. Because, I mean, we've got a pretty cool collaborative going with a bunch of you guys that are bringing some content that. I mean, it resonates with all of us. I mean, you got to think feet are just as important to the guy who's been hunting dogs for 50 years as they are to the new guy. The new guy oh. just doesn't know it yet. Right. So, you know, I'm, I was glad to see that article come in because I think that's going to be a really good one for people. So make sure to check out the ambassador blog. We'll have those posted up on the W Facebook page and, you know, our Instagram stories and things like that. Yeah. But we look forward to that one and a bunch more from bear and a lot of other guys yeah I did, little, uh, I did a little screen you know the the ambassadors we, we get our own we get a little bit of a login so i was able to go in and see what's sort of on the horizon there's some there's some radical articles there good there. articles huh oh my gosh there's some good ones coming so yeah maybe we should I, think about sticking with this you know and, and keep touching on some uh conditioning as we go but i know there are a lot of guys training up and getting ready for this spring bear season and yeah for sure you know hopefully somebody can learn from my mistakes in the past that's what i'm hoping you know when i when i when when i've got this you know when i kind of share my opinions on this i'm not telling you you know i'm not telling people what they should be doing i'm just telling you what my experience has been and 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 the experience has been very you know, um, a lot of my experience is not figuring out what's worked. 
It's what hasn't worked. It's what hasn't worked and just kind of removing that thing until finally left with something useful. You mm-hmm. know, that's where I'm at with the with the feet thing and with the conditioning thing is that I I busted up a bunch of really good dogs over the years being being egotistical, wanting to be serious, wanting to get the miles, you know, wanting to be the guy that showed up and best prepared and realizing that after the first day that what I'd actually showed up with was a bunch of beat up dogs. Mm hmm. And that didn't for the Indy 500, you're rolling up in a Pinto that's just beat up. Yeah. You know, but at the same time, you know, I'd rather, I'd, I'd rather roll up with a guy with a bunch of guys being like, Oh, you've only trained this much, but where I roll up with a bunch of, you know, a bunch of Marines angry and ready to roll. (laughs) Then, uh, you know, a bunch of, uh, a bunch of tired a bunch of tired guys that have already been through hell and right. I'm going to go through it one more time. You know, I'd much rather, I would much rather have that, that team of dogs that is ready to roll. You know, that is a humbling, you saying that brings up a very humbling experience. Uh, so years ago I had these dogs, you know, and they were primarily blue ticks. It was back in the blue tick days. But we were running fox with them back then. Believe it or not, we could still catch fox with blue ticks. Um, the right fox. So those, those we went out. get overweight ones. <laughs> yeah, the fat ones. They got three legs and blind in one eye. So we ended up starting this fox, and they had tucked down into the creek, and it was it was cold for where we're at. It was in the teens, which is extremely cold for us, and. Uh, they ended up not being able to pick it up for some reason. Like it was a log crossing. They, they couldn't pick it up on the other side. A lot of it was probably inexperienced too. I mean, I had just started trying to pursue these things. Yep. So regardless, they end up coming back into the road. I'm like, okay, well, we'll just kick on down the road. And all of a sudden I started noticing one dog would pick a foot up. And then the next dog would pick a foot up. And before you know it, like quite literally, I had ripped every pad off because when they hit that that asphalt after being in the creek literally their pads were starting to freeze to the blacktop oh right you know not not massive like we're not talking it just ripped the whole foot off but i mean dime size parts of the pad every time they put their foot down it tore off that top layer of skin and after 30 steps they're yeah, in a matter of like literally 30 seconds, it's like, what is going on? And you got dogs like kicking legs, look like that puppy that don't know how to run again. Right. So I end up loading them all up. And uh, buddy, I can call him a buddy of mine. We talk like every couple of years, it seems like, but, you know, super good dude. Uh, Colin Snyder from Blacktail Outdoors. Yeah. He was coming down here and doing some hunting. And he says, hey, you know, you want to come run some fox and kind of show me what it's about. And I remember grabbing the dog that had the best feet out of the group and just looking at her in the eyes and saying, I'm sorry, honey, but we need, we need today. Right. And that was, I think the only time I've been in that mind frame, like where I put myself and looking like a a professional, I don't know how else to explain it. No, I I like literally you talk about the burden and it's like, man, I, I took a bad situation and made it worse. You know, that dog was laid up for a month after that. Sure. And that will totally change your perspective. 
Like that was surely for me. That was not for the dog. You know, she should have just stayed home and enjoyed it. Cause you know, I put her out and she ran another race for an hour. You know, it's like, she's not going to quit just because she's not feeling great. Right. I just, I should have had a better foresight to hold her back because after that, you know, I fought foot issues for a month and month and a half afterwards. Yeah. That's the tough thing with feet is that once, once they start going South, they go South on a fast horse, you know? So start conditioning early. Yeah. Don't think it stops at the end of season people. Like that's, that's the big one. I think is it foot conditioning is a year round event. Absolutely. And I, uh, if, if people don't take anything else away from this than that, is you know we've we've all done that kind of thing where we we drop you know we empty the box when there's that little voice in the back of our heads it's like ah, dogs really don't need this right now and you know most of us most of us have that kind of relationship with our hounds where they're like hey he's got my back he's if he says i can sure i'll, I'll yeah. definitely do this and you know sometimes unintentionally we abuse that we abuse that privilege we have and it is a privilege it's an earned trust that you know i've seen i've had i've seen guys and it's it's heartbreaking to see i've seen guys during races and, and even you know even during training where you know I'll, I'll tell you a quick story i went up with this this old lead dog that just uh that just died um when he uh when he was a little bit younger I went up into the mountains with him during a windstorm and I just had the best run with the, with these guys. And it, and this is, and I, I knew where the, I knew how hard I could push them without them breaking. Cause I've broken teams before, you know, mm-hmm. and I knew I didn't want to do that. It was heartbreaking when I did, it took me years to kind of get those dogs back to where they fully trusted me again. And I didn't want to do that again. And you know, that was 10 years ago, but um anyway we get up into the into the wind and it's just cranking you know it's blowing the dogs off their feet and all this stuff and we we flop around every time we stop their tails are still wagging we're having a good time and you know but i'm up there for a few hours and then i'm like all right we're 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 good so i turn my turn the team back to the wind it was hard conditions they could run wherever they didn't need to be in the trail and we you know we busted off down uh down the hill i knew we were eventually going to intersect another trail we intersect that trail, take a turn off, and I come upon two dog teams where the mushers are are literally crying. Yeah. Because those dogs are just like, this, this was it. This was the straw that broke our back. We yep. don't trust you. We don't like you. We're not Every working time for those you. Guys walk up the team, the dogs would turn their backs and shoulders to the to those guys. And they'd walk up the other side and the dogs would all turn their backs and shoulders to that guy and wouldn't look them in the eyes. It was hard. Wow. It was brutal, man. Brutal. That, I mean, that is, that's rough. When the dogs won't look at you. You've messed up. You've done something wrong. And these were, these were, these were well-bred, tough, mentally tough dogs that just eventually hit their breaking point. Everybody's got it, man. Dogs, people people talk about these unbreakable dogs and, you know, these great lines of super, super tough bear dog or lion dog or whatever. And it's true. There, there, there's some, there are some dogs that are unfathomably tough to me, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean that that unfathomably tough dog is not eventually going to be like, you know what? You're enough of an idiot that I'm actually going to be tough enough to lay down and not give a crap what you say. Right. 
Because that's a mental toughness too, to look a guy, to look a human being, the guy who feeds you in the eyes and be like, screw you, man. Yeah, I'm not driving. I can imagine just a whole sled team sitting there. And it's like, you're, you're at the mercy oh, they of were, the elements at that point. Like, what are you going to do? They were full-blown panicked. They were full-blown panicked. So, you know, but the, the worst thing was that I hopped off off of my sled and I, you know, I had a cup of coffee. You know, I had my thermos of coffee. I filled my coffee cup. I walked up and was like, what's going on, guys? Their dogs were all saying hi to me. Oh, they, not they even looking at them. They were happy to see me. They're like, oh, this guy's not involved in this bull crap. So what's in the I'm, hound world? That's when you'd whip out the, the dollar bills and you just pick the ones that you wanted because that's when they're on sale cheap. <laughs> exactly. I've done that. I've done that with some dog mushers where they rolled back in and I've been like, hey, that dog right there. He's uh, he messed with you pretty hard, eh? Yep. I bet you kind of want to sell that dog right now. Exactly. <laughs> so my, the, uh, my, it's mostly my wife doing the mushing right now, but, um, her, her main lead dog is a big black dog named Ferris. Um, and he, I got him when he was a pup or, a re, you know, relatively young dog, year and a half old at the end of a race where I saw them leave the starting shoot and I saw that dog trip and go down hard. Got back up onto his feet. I saw that he had hurt himself. Mm -hmm. The guy running him didn't see it. Ran him a hundred miles. Oh man. And got into the checkpoint and that dog could barely move. He was like, I don't know what the deal is. Just, just a crappy dog. (laughs) And I was like, oh, I think you're probably right. Total, total piece of garbage, you know. But uh, hey, I've one of mine, you know, I've got an extra spot in the kennel. And, you know, I'll, I'll take him off your hands for you. It was like that way you don't need to, you know, because he was going to go out and do another round. It's like that way you don't need to take care of him in the checkpoint. Just drop him and give him to me. Right. The guy was like, yeah, total, I mean, I don't even think you want this dog. Total garbage. And I was like, oh, I'll, I'll take him off your hands for you. And he's been our main leader for the last six years. Isn't that funny how it works out? Oh, I love it. I love it. And I mean, that kind of stuff's happened to me too, where I've just been like, this is it. I am done with this dog. And it's gone on to do like great things for somebody else. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, it's humbling, but at the same time, it's nothing better better than that. You want what's best for your dogs, even the ones that are pissing you off. You know? and if what's best for them is not to be here, then by all means. Hey, sometimes knowing knowing that it is not the right fit for a dog is half the battle because oh. I have owned plenty of dogs. I mean, I've sent dogs back to people that flat out told them, yeah, it's going to make a dog. I'm sure it will. Yeah. I will never give it the fair enough chance because I had one crap in her food bowl every day, yep. every day, fresh steamer. <laughs> and finally it was like, you know what? I don't care if you turn out to be <laughs> the nicest dog on the planet. I can't take this mentally anymore. Like I'm going to break over crap in a food bowl. <laughs> and, you know, she went on, went back I'm sorry to, to be an awesome dog. I'm sorry to laugh. We've, we've all been there, man, where it's just like right? that one dog. It's the sound of their bark or there's, it's the, the, it's, it's that they, yeah. They try and pee on you when you walk by them or there's oh, something they're doing. That's just like, I'm going to move this dog on before I have a mental breakdown. Exactly. Just find, you know, sometimes your job is to find the place where that dog belongs. Yeah, exactly. So this is going to start like a whole series, man. We're going to have to do like a mini series of bear and Jason shooting the breeze and 
Yeah. Because I, I find it interesting to talk about like these, you know, foot topics or Absolutely. conditioning because it's something that's relevant to everybody, whether you're running cats, coon, fox, bear, lion, 100%. huskies, it doesn't matter. Like literally conditioning is something that is so universal across the whole dog uh, industry, I'll say. True. Yeah. That, you know, I hope, I do hope people go and read your article because I think that's a really good, you know, short form way i mean it's not a ten thousand word essay we're talking no, it's about a, it's probably just, uh, 500 you know, words short, short and gritty just kind of the, the the basic tips and you know and anybody who wants to talk to me more about this just give me a shout you know send me a message on facebook or check out you know the hunting hound on instagram and i'll i'll get right back to you and we can talk feet until the cows come home i love talking about I love talking dogs and, and, you know, I love the nuanced aspect of this, of the whole thing. So feet and conditioning, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not an expert, but you know, I'm, I, I have an interest for it. And, you know, maybe between, you know, between me and whoever I'm talking to, we can come up with some, you know, at least some other, some different ways of looking at it that I haven't thought of before, Sure. which is only going to benefit me and my dogs. So I, I'm all about it. Anybody who wants to talk to me about it, please take, you know, please contact. Open for debate. Yeah, I love it, you know. So it's well, that was awesome, man. I wish I could hang around all day, but the shop is now officially open. So I probably better go answer some phones. You probably should go to work, yeah. I know, right? I should probably no, get that was uh, that was a good one though. Yeah, that it was, was really good fun. Yeah, that was a little bit I've been dying to hear that to do that story. I have been waiting for the goat story ever since like I got the picture and I knew the beginning and I knew the end and I'm like, I want to know what happened. Something that middle portion the middle. is awesome. I guarantee it. Yeah. Something happened in the middle there. Well, thanks for having me on with you again, man. I really enjoyed doing oh, of these. Course. Yeah. I love it. Uh, we've got, uh, when, uh, yeah, the sky is clear and you're able to, you're able to come on for a few. That's always fun. Always good. Right on. Well, but, thanks everybody for listening. Yeah, we'll talk to you. All right. Man, I love that sound.